Happy Father's Day. That's right. Getting it started. Well, this morning you'll see uh, we're starting an 11-week series on the subject of stewardship. And uh, this is going to uh, follow the uh, Capitol Hill Baptist uh, course seminar on stewardship. I think it's going to be really helpful. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this study. I think it's going to really, really benefit us. And so uh, with that, as, uh, as, as we get started, uh, I, I'd like to just open up with a general question. What comes to mind when we think of stewardship? What are some of the categories or concepts that you think of when you think of stewardship? That's right. Surrender and submission to God and, and the Holy Spirit, but just allowing the Holy Spirit to just move you. Yeah. It's difficult. Yep. <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Because this brain of mine thinks a lot. Yeah, but yeah, surrender, submission, that there's something that's owed. Yep. No, that's good. I think of kind of like owning things or being in control of things, whether it's maybe your your child or your home or possessions, and then like surrendering, surrendering those then. Yes. Kind of go on top of that. Yes. Yeah. Anything that we possess. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And then what that what that means uh, as with our relationship with the Lord. Yep. Yep. Good point. Yeah. Well. Yep. Yeah. Nope, that's good. Yeah, Megan. Uh, the word resources comes to mind. Yes. Like all of those categories. Yes. Yeah. And like a Yes. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. It's funny. Um, you think of, the, you try to think of like a word that try to like captures like this like whole big concept, right? And no, you, and you guys are all right. Those are, those are all all exactly what, what, what we're thinking about in, in trying to pick up on some of these concepts. I Sabrina? heard a sermon once and they did the three T's, time, talent, treasure. So I think too, just the gifts that God has given us and how we use them for his glory, um, you know, so that, you know, rather than, than the one who just sewed it in the ground and left it alone. Yes. That we're, you know, multiplying and doing what we can. Yes. Nope, that's a, that's a really good point. And we're actually going to go to that parable about sewing in the ground. So that, that works out. Thank you for that transition. Yeah. <laughs> it was almost coordinated. <laughs> uh, nope, so you guys are hitting on, on, on all those things, right? We're looking at the things that God has given us, right? And then we're seeing God's purpose for those things. Um, and so we're going to cover, you know, why he gave them to us, how we're to use them, and then dangers to avoid, right, and all these things. So if you have, if you have your little handout... Right. If you just kind of flip to the back, you can see. Uh, so the first two weeks, we're going to talk about stewardship. Right. Generally, next week's going to cover faithfulness. We're going to be looking at Matthew 25 and using that as kind of this overarching framework. And then we're going to spend four weeks on money. Right. And that I think will will will, will be a good. Uh, you know, you can see some of the different subjects we're going to cover in regards to to money and the idea of our of our capital and how we use our capital. And then. We're going to spend two weeks dealing with time. One week on health, right? So we think of health, the body, right? Things of that nature. And then lastly, we're going to spend two weeks on skills, right? Stewarding skills. When we think of, uh, you know, some of those other categories like work, vocation, um, and then um, uh, the enemy of stewardship, right? Idolatry, right? Turning, turning good skills that we have 
into idols. So I'm really looking forward. I think this will be a really good study. Uh, it'll be encouraging to us and strengthen us in ways to help us honor the Lord with, with all that he's given us. So with that, um, I'd like us to um, uh, uh, just think of why should we attend this seminar? Like, wh- why go over this class? And uh, here, here's two simple reasons as we get started. So first, our money, health, time, and skills are often wrongly assumed to be unrelated to our spiritual life, right? So sometimes there's this artificial dichotomy, right? This separation that happens when we think of money, body, health, work, time, skills, right? All all those things we're talking about are resources, right? We kind of think of them as like this like separate category. And then we think of our spirituality as like Bible reading, devotions, you know, going to church, right? And it's like we have this and we start to develop this chasm between the two, right? And, uh, right, like, 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 when was the last time you heard someone confess sin for misusing their health, right? Or, 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 or misusing their skills, right? It's, it, it's, just, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's something that I think uh, we, we don't think uh, often of is, is really trying to integrate these together. And then secondly... Right, if, if that's one side. The other side is we are especially vulnerable to idolizing and misusing the gifts that God gives us. Right? We, we, we start to accept the cultural definitions and values that the world places on these things. Right? And every culture will bring out different elements or emphases. But... I think that's important. So absent any clear biblical direction, I think it's very easy for us to, to conform to what the world uh, puts forward and proclaims. So, so that, that's what we're looking to do. That's what we're going to be doing over the next 11 weeks between myself and Pastor Des, and uh, just, just, just working through, work, work, working through um, uh, these things. So... Um, so with that, open your Bible to Matthew chapter uh, 25, uh, like, uh, like Sabrina had alluded to earlier with the, the servant who, who buried his talent. So we're going to read Matthew 25, and we'll read verses uh, 14 through 30, and maybe I can get uh, two volunteers, and we'll kind of like break this up. So, all right, Barani, um, uh, why don't you cover verses uh, 14 and... Um, uh, uh, let's go 14 through um, uh, 18, or 14 through, you know what, do you mind just reading the whole thing? There's no easy division. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot harder than I thought. Yeah. <laughs>
All right, excellent. Yeah, thank you. So let's just do a quick context and interpretation of this parable. And then I, I want to, and then we'll kind of start building on this framework. So the context of Matthew chapters uh, 24 and 25 is the return of Christ. And, uh, and, and, and the um, uh, understanding of the kingdom of God. And in this particular parable of Matthew 25... Uh, it's emphasizing what readiness looks like. So right before that, in Matthew 25, uh, in verses 1 through 13, you have the parable of the ten virgins. Five are ready, five are not ready, right, um, when, when the Lord returns. And so then Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, is answering what does readiness look like. And so Christ is leaving his disciples... Right? And this parable is going to emphasize for us, this is what it looks like in the kingdom of Christ's redemptive reign, or Christ's rule over his redeemed people until he returns. Right? And so if you were to think of like one word to categorize this, it's going to be faithfulness. Right? We're going to cover this idea of faithfulness next week as we think of stewardship, being, being entrusted with something. And I, so this, this idea of the kingdom of Christ's redemptive reign, or Christ's rule over his redeemed people, this is important. And when we think of the kingdom of Christ, there's, there's two aspects that I want to highlight for us as before we really kind of get into this. And one is creation, or we think of like creation roles, or the mission associated with creation. And then secondly, we think of uh, the, the mission given to the church, right? We think of these two things together. And um, when we think of Christ's redemptive kingdom, right? Just like it says you know, in, in, in Matthew 25, 14, where it says, for it, it's referring to the kingdom, kingdom of God. The kingdom of God includes creation roles and understanding um, for... Uh, for individual Christians, it's a part of our mission, and the church organically. Or we, when we say the church organically, we're referring to the members that make up the church. And that's in contrast to the idea of the church as an institution, right? Officers and, and such. So, when we, so this idea of stewardship, mission's tied in, right? Because mission helps answer the question, what are we left here to do? What are we to be faithful concerning? And so we are to be good stewards of what we have been given and with the, the mission we have received. And so 
the goal of, of, of this morning's study and our intro is, is not so much to examine stewardship with just a focus of the mission of the church as an institution and, and, and just looking at it through that lens, even though that is helpful. It's more with a focus on the mission of individual Christians or the church organically, right, comprised of, of each individual member. Uh, so, so we have stewardship and mission, right? And so um, if we were to think of it... Um, Thank you guys for the whiteboard. Yeah, this is dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> you might not see me again. <laughs> uh, so when you when you think of uh, mission, right? We want to think of it in, in at least two senses, right? So we have one is going to be right um, Genesis one, right? The original um, uh, creation uh, commission, or, or what some have called the cultural mandate, right? And then we can think secondly. Right? We're just going to use really, really like big, overarching, right? We'll think of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, right? As it, as it relates to the church and then is further defined and specified as we work our way through the New Testament. So, so it's, it's, it's these two things that help us understand our mission, right? And so, first, let, let's kind of talk about the cultural commission, right? That God gave in the garden. And so, in Genesis 1 and 2, God commissioned his images to marry, have children, fill the earth, subdue all aspects of this world to their regal or kingly reign. Um, we, have, we have cycles of work and rest, and, and in so doing, bring glory to God in every facet of life, right? Every facet, farming, society, relationships, business, technology, all of that to be cultivated, and bring God glory, right? But we know the rest of the story, right? Uh, that, that didn't continue on its, uh, it, its proper trajectory, right? Sin entered, right? We have in Genesis 3, uh, with, with the corruption that came from sin, we have cur the curse, right? And so the curse has affected this cultural mandate from Genesis 1. And now uh, things are corrupted, Um but nevertheless, these good things still exist, right? Like marriage and business and, 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 and work and rest, etc. And then we get to Genesis 9, right? And, and Genesis 9 is God's commitment to preserve the world um, and, and to continue the things that he established with creation order, right? And so God then commits to Noah and to his sons the same, or, 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 or I shouldn't say the same, um, similar to what he gave in Genesis 1. Wait, there are some differences, but all those things that are good are to continue, right? Marriage, child rearing, uh, work and rest, right? All of that, all aspects of life to be done for the glory of God. Um, and so, uh, so, so what that means is, all right, so like what's the implication for mission? We think of... Uh, Christ's redemptive reign uh, over his people, over his redeemed people. So how does this tie in together? So creation and the roles and mission and, 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 or if you will, ordinances that were established in creation continue on in the church, right? And so like just as an example, right, simple example, we see Paul in uh, writing to the church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy 4, and he rebukes those who forbid marriage, right? So there's this tying back. So, 
These things that are good, assumed in creation, perpetuated under God's commitment with Noah, are to continue even in the church. So that's like, you know, first major category or mission, right, for individual Christians, right? But then secondly, we have the Great Commission, right? In Matthew 28, where Christ commissions the church, right, with the foundation of the apostles, to build his church, right? They're to go out, evangelize, make disciples, and to teach them to be obedient in all things that Jesus has commanded, right? And then we see, we see more developments of, of, of what this looks like through the apostles with, uh, with, the, with the book of Acts and with the New Testament letters. So uh, now, and that's the thing, as members of Christ's church, we are to be active in the mission of the church, and there's a helpful, helpful paradigm that I, want, that I want us to hit real quick. And that is um, this, the, the, this paradigm of upward, inward, and outward. And here I'll just I'll quote uh, Greg Nichols using, using this idea. Uh, In its upward focus, Christ commissions his church to love God and draw near to him in devotion that honors him. In its inward focus, Christ commissions his church to love all his disciples. In its outward focus, Christ commissions his church to love their fellow men and evangelize the world. Right? And so uh, when we think of upward, we think of corporate Christian worship, the ordinances, prayer. Uh, when we think of uh, inward, we think of uh, Christian fellowship with the ideas of like following uh, Nichols, um, uh, nurture and benevolence and discipline. And then when we think of outward, we think of evangelism. Right? And so... So it's these two missions, right, that, that we as individual Christians, right, uh, are, are to be faithful in both. So, so why bring up mission so early, right, um, especially as we, as we look to get into uh, kind of Matthew 25 as a, as a framework? There can be an imbalance when we think of stewardship as it relates to our responsibility, and, and just as an example, or one that, one that came to mind, is when we, we can so focus on Christ's mission that we minimize or downplay a proper perspective of creation roles, assumptions, or the, the cultural mandate perpetuated under God's commission to Noah and his sons, right? You think of an example of an extreme, just think of, and maybe you have or haven't heard you know, people talk like this, uh, or, or an impression you've been given where work is divided into this holy secular, right? And it's like, unless you're like a pastor or like working for a church, like that's really holy, you know? Uh, but if you're not, it's kind of like, well, I've got like a secular job, right? And you see this like distinction that's made be- between the two, um, you know? And, uh, and, and any other form of work is kind of this like subpar. Well, it's like, well, you got to make ends meet. And, you know, I'm glad you do that, you know. But, you know, one day you might get to the spiritual level of a minister, right? And, uh, right. So, and again, I think that happens because we start to confuse these, right? Or we so emphasize one and maybe minimize or downplay another. So, so with that said, we're going to go back to Matthew 25. We're going to use Matthew 25, right? to use it really kind of like more broadly to help us understand this idea of stewardship, right? And and the idea of stewardship is this. 
you have been entrusted with things that you will have to give an account for, right? That, that, that's the idea. And so, and we're going to explore that, right? We're going to think of God as master, we as servants, and then uh, what happens when the Lord returns, right? And, and that's kind of laid out for us here in Matthew 25. So, so with that, uh, let's go ahead and let's look at this. So on your notes, we see uh, point number two. The master, right, is God. So, and we think, we think of, uh, sorry, we can think of this in a couple of subcategories, right? That God first owns everything. And, and, and this, is, this is important, right? And, you know, God, God is owner of all because he is creator of all, right? It's his of necessity. And so uh, because he's done that, he has claim on everything. Uh, turn with me to Psalm 24, and we can see how David expresses this. So head, head back into the Old Testament, and let's look at Psalm 24. And if I can get... Um, All right, Psalm 24. And we're going to read verses 1 and 2. If I can have a, uh, a volunteer to read uh, Psalm 24, uh, verses 1 and 2. All right, let's look. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those that dwell in it. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Yes. Yeah, so just this, like, overarching claim, right? God founded it, and all of this is his, right? Um, and this, so the reverse of this is, because that's true, God doesn't owe his creation anything, right, of, 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 uh, of necessity. He's not a debtor to man. So turn, let, let's take a look real quick in Job. So turn a little bit to the right, so... Um, I'm sorry. Uh, turn to the left. Jeez. Uh, apologies there. All right, so Job chapter 41, and, and look with us at verse 11. And we'll have someone read Job chapter 41, and let's read verse 11. All right, thanks, man. 11. Who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Excellent. Yeah, that's just, it's like God is bringing out this question, and that should hit us, right, from the standpoint that um, God is not a debtor to man that we can go and ask him when we need to collect, right? If anything, it's the complete opposite. And so, so with this, right, we think of authority. God has complete authority and ownership overall, and man is um, a debtor to God, not vice versa. And so, uh, turn, turn with me to one, one, more, one more passage. I want us to take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. As you can see on your notes. We'll take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. So, even in a, in a cursed corrupted world, similar to what we were saying earlier, God still sees his creation. He still sees goodness in his creation, even though it's been corrupted and cursed. 
So 1 Timothy 4, and let's read verses 4 and 5. I'm going to follow, volunteer. Yeah, Kathy? For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God. No, that's perfect. And then um, uh, uh, turn with me just to one page over uh, to chapter 6 of 1 Timothy. And I'll read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17. So verse 17 of chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And, and this text is really good. Paul kills two idols with one verse. One, he destroys the idolatry of wealth. Don't set your hope on worldly riches. But secondly, he also destroys the idolatry of asceticism. This, um, we were created and meant, even in a post-fall world, to enjoy God's physical creation. And so, although wealth is uncertain, it can certainly be enjoyed. Right? And you almost think of how uh, sometimes there's this tendency, again, going back to what we said earlier, Right, where people um, associate asceticism uh, and maybe, if you will, like the poverty gospel. Right, unless like you got holes in your shirt and you don't have any money in your pocket or your bank account, right? Then you're not holy, right? Because that is the real call of Christ. Right, it's basically to to um, have 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 nothing at all. Right, and 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 really, this asceticism is 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 not following the biblical mandates of, of things like self denial. Or, or, or uh, proper stewardship um, and submitting under Christ's lordship, right? So the bottom line is this. God owns everything. He owes nothing. And all that he made is good and to be enjoyed as such. So um, it, from, a, a, from a, another sub-bullet, um, God gives people their wealth, abilities, time, and spiritual gifts. Right, and, and similar to what we talked about, right? This all again, it, it goes back to Genesis one, right? God's creator, therefore, it's all His, and it comes from Him. But turn with me to First Corinthians, chapter four. There's just a, a way that Paul really words this well, and I, this is a, a a very helpful verse to help us appropriate humility. So. Um, look with me at 1 Corinthians 4, and let's look at verse 7. And if I can have a volunteer to read uh, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. No, excellent, right? Yeah. What do you have? That you have not received. Yeah, just the weightiness of that, right? You're like, man, how do I live life like that? You know, where it just completely strips you of uh, uh, self-attainment. Look at what I've done, right? Just, just, just that's powerful, right? Lord, help us to incorporate this into how we view our money, our family, our education, our abilities, right? And, and, and David recognized this, 
right? In, in First Chronicles twenty nine sixteen, uh, when the Israelites they, they they personally gave to the building of the temple, and then here's what David prays in response to God: All this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own right we see that connection right that working out in faith and um and so one one other point i think is important to make that we see in matthew 25 god gives different amounts to different individuals and there is no wrong in this right there is no wrong in the differences given to individuals and uh um the the issue is not how much we necessarily have been given, but how faithful we are to what we've been given. So our next major point is then the servants, right? Who are the servants, right? Well, that's that's us, right? That's that's people. And so that second major bullet under, un, un, under our point on servants. We don't own what we own. And, um, and this, is, this, is, this is really hard for our heart to get around sometimes, right? It's very easy for us to, to, to boast, to become arrogant, right? For pride to creep in. Um, um, uh, it, it's, it's very easy for us to, to, to lean on or instinctively think, I've earned it and it's mine, right? Don't tell me what I should do with it. And this sadly, I think, keeps uh, many people from following the Lord, right? You think of the example of the rich young ruler who had great wealth. And it was when he was confronted by Christ with, uh, with his lordship that he didn't want to submit, right? He, he, he didn't want to lose what he thought he owned. Yeah, and that, and that, and that's, and, and that's a reality, right? And you think of, um, um, yeah, and, we, and so we do. We think of this, right? When we realize that what we have isn't ours, with a proper mindset, a huge burden is lifted from our shoulders, and it's a burden we were never meant to carry. God gives us what we need when we need it, right? And that is, that is trusting the Lord in his sovereignty. Now, there are ways in which this principle can be abused through laziness, right? But when we really think about this, this is, this is very freeing, right? We are simply stewards. And the Lord is the one, is the one who gives, and the Lord is the one who who takes away, All right? And just there's a really uh, helpful little illustration, right, from um, from his book Desiring God, where Piper talks about someone who walks into an art museum empty-handed, and as he's walking in the rooms, uh, he's taking pictures off the walls. And he's just like putting them under his arm, right? Going to the next room, starting to you know build a little collection, right? And then he's confronted, you know, what are you doing? And uh, and 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 this individual. 
replies, I'm becoming an art collector. But when he's told that the pictures aren't his and, uh, and that he won't be able to take them out of the building, the person replies, sure they're mine. I've got them under my arm, right? He has mistaken possession for ownership. And, and, and so we fall into the same type of mindset, right? Where, where what the things that we possess now, we can think or treat them like we own them. Like we have ownership. And what a temptation that is. So in our next, our, our sub-bullet, bullet B, we're only stewards of what we have been given, right? So we've, um, uh, uh, we have been entrusted with another's wealth, uh, and then we are charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. And again, just to reiterate, there is something transformative when we view our bank accounts, our cars, our homes, our possessions, our gifts, our time, when we view it as something entrusted to us. All right, so uh, before we go on to our, to our next, uh, next section, any, any, any questions or any comments up, up to this point? Yeah, sorry. Well, I, what I'm what I'm getting is that, like, okay, the idea of work and faith. This has always been an argument throughout my life, and I kind of figured it out. Work is inevitable; it's an inevitable part of being man. And faith, uh, like somewhere in the Bible says, "Well, faith without work is dead." And so it, it does cause for some confusion. But your work is supposed to be a demonstration of your faith, because yes. work is ultimately inevitable. Yes. But well, the part the part that I didn't like that I didn't gather until now is the laziness part, bearing your gifts, the things that you were given. So that was that, that's totally new to add to that concept. No, absolutely. No, you know what's funny? Just like Sabrina uh, gave us a perfect bridge to Matthew twenty-five, you've given me a perfect bridge to our next segment. So <laughs> oh, I just want to thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, this is right. working out super well. <laughs> All right. So our point four: poor stewardship, evidence of no faith. So building on, on this theme then, right? Um, uh, so we've distinguished between masters and servants, right? And now we need to distinguish between the types of servants. And so we're going to start with the one who's unfaithful. And then we're going to go look at the one, or, the, or I'm sorry, not the one, the two that are faithful. So let me ask this question. So we go back to Matthew chapter 25. Turn with me back to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and um, uh, we're looking at the unfaithful steward, right? So we're looking at um, uh, verse, verse uh, 24, 24 down, right? So um, <clears throat> what did the unfaithful servant do that was lazy and wicked, right? So what did he do with his master's money? 
He hid it. Yeah, he buried it. Exactly. And why did he do this? He was afraid. Exactly. He didn't believe. And it's really interesting. You look at this, right? Because he says that he's afraid. And you'd almost think, well, if you were afraid, wouldn't you, like, be more prepared to have something ready? So it's like, I'm afraid, but I really don't believe you. Right? It's like this, like, weird mix um, where where he's got hypocrisy built into this. And... um, um, uh, Nope, exactly. And then what was the consequence, right? When we, when we get down to the bottom, what was the consequence for uh, what he did with what the master had entrusted to him? Did you have your hand? No, okay. Was that, it was taken, yeah, it was taken from him, exactly. And then, and then he was cast, like it says in verse 30, he was cast into outer darkness, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, um, yeah, and just to, to ask the question, right, where it's like, um, wow, that's a really strong consequence for simply burying money, right, to be cast into outer darkness. What, what's going on here, right? So, so let, let, let's look at this. The faithful servants trusted that the master would return as he said, and so they risked absolutely everything on his promise, right? They were risky. They took action. They took whatever they had, and they multiplied it. They went out into whatever avenue they could to build the master's money. Um, But the unfaithful servant decided to play it safe. He either thought that the master might not return as promised or that when he did, faithfulness wouldn't be rewarded. He possibly feared that if he was active in multiplying his master's money, he may lose it in a bad business decision. So he hedged his bet. He reduced his risk by burying the talent and doing other things with his time. But as we know, misusing God's wealth is equivalent to stealing from God. But the faithful servants, they trusted their master's word and his goodness. But the unfaithful servant had faith in neither, right? And like Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money in Matthew 6, 24. Um, and, so, uh, and so I think for some, they may think that they can play both sides and please both masters, that they can have two masters, right? But there is no middle ground, right? Well, we, we will either love the Lord or we will not. There are only two ways. And this unfaithful servant did not have an active faith. In other words, he was not a Christian. And so what we learn from the unfaithful servant is that what we do with our money, our ability, our spiritual gifts, our time, our social capital, right? All that we have been given from God. That is is to be used. And its use or a lack thereof is an indication, right? It's a a pointer of whether or not we have saving faith, faith in God's promises and faith in God's goodness, right? This parable isn't about being a semi-Christian, right? It's like third category, right? Non-Christian, Christian, Christian, semi-Christian, right? 
Um, and, and the reality that Jesus is bringing out for us is this is uh, the reality of heaven and hell, right? And so, and I think, and I, and I think that is important. Um, that's why this class isn't about stewarding some of our money, right? As if it's like, well, I give so much to God, and then basically I go and do whatever I want with the rest of my money. Or, uh, or, or steward, stewarding some of my time, right? Or, or my health, or, or, or anything else of, of that matter, right? Where it's like we, we kind of put them in two separate categories. No, the Lord owns them all. And we must trust the Lord and be active with all that he has given us to bring his name glory through Jesus Christ. In other words, stewardship is just another way that we can talk about the Christian life. So then, look with me lastly on faithful stewardship. Glorifying the Lord with all that he gives us. Right? And so, um, uh, 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 look with me right a little, a little bit earlier. Uh, and let, let's answer this together. Why were the first two servants commended as good and faithful? Right? Let's just take a look in Matthew 25. Why were they commended as good and faithful servants? What does Jesus say here? Yes. More yes. Yes. No. Exactly. And there's a lot that's there, like you said. So there's this idea of, of trust. They were entrusted, and then they were they were worthy of such trust in regards to the way that they were faithful and active, right? And uh, they were they were obedient to the commission given from their master with what they were to go and do. Well, I mean, the fact that they were given more money implies that they, they, that the master very much knew that that they knew what they were doing. Yes. And because he gave the other guy a little bit, he wasn't sure about the other guy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Exactly. He, like they, they, they were entrusted to do something with that money. Otherwise, they'd not been given it. Yes. And they were actively engaged to figure out what exactly can I do they, they to go to do some that. Kind of uh, money handlers. Yes. Like they had to be experienced in what they were doing on some level. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. They. And nope. Nope. I think that's a. I think that's 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 a fair point. And so. Um, I think for the sake of time, what what I want us to at least look at with a, with the faithful stewards, is, um, you know, at least one motive for faithfulness and stewardship, and um, uh, I. I we think of who it is whom we serve, right? The God whom we serve. Uh, he didn't merely teach us what to do with our wealth like a prophet, but he showed us. He demonstrated in love. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, 
For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Right? Jesus humbling Himself as the suffering servant and us through our union to Jesus by faith become inheritors of everything that Jesus has. We become co-heirs with Christ. How does that motivate stewardship and how we think of money and, and everything else? We think of that from redemption, right? We think of what did Christ do for us? What was his willingness, right, to go and accomplish for our benefit, for our good? And so we're just coming up at, at the end of the hour. And so um, with that, I think uh, Matthew 25, I think, has been a really good introduction. Uh, Pastor Des will hit next week on this idea of faithfulness as stewards. But I think as we, as we come back, we want to think about that, right? That mission is tied into stewardship. And, and not only mission, but also when, when we think of all that God has given us, right? And then using that to bring honor to his name through the power of the Holy Spirit. So with that, let's pray and thank the Lord. Father, we do rejoice and thank you for this time to engage with you through your word. And we pray that you would give us strength, uh, strength through your Holy Spirit to, uh, to continue to grow in obedience to you as stewards. We know that, uh, Lord, uh, we all have areas of, of uh, faithlessness, that we all have areas of maturity and growth where we want to better honor you with all that you give us. Please give us grace and strength through your Holy Spirit to honor you and put Jesus on display with all aspects of who we are. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.